Hey everyone, this is Adam Bergman, founder and CEO of Irie Financial. Welcome to another episode of AdBits, where I will be sharing bits of knowledge about self-directed retirement. If you want to learn more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on social media. Just search IRA Financial. Hey everyone, hope all is well. Got another exciting episode of AdBits today. We're going to talk about how to use an IRA to invest in investment funds. So this is a, I think, really important topic because investing your retirement account in an investment fund is one of the most popular types of investments one can do with an IRA. So before we get started, I just wanted to quickly uh, mention a few other podcasts. Check out AdMail, which is another newer type of podcast like AdBits. Um, you can pick it up at SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, check them out, subscribe. I think you'll enjoy them um, because if you are interested in using alternative assets to invest and you want to take advantage of the ability to have more control over your retirement accounts and better diversify your retirement portfolio with your retirement accounts, then I think you'll enjoy AdBits and AdMail because you'll get a really good amount of information on various topics involving self-directed retirement accounts. So definitely subscribe. I think you'll enjoy it. And of course, check out Adam Talks, which is my weekly podcast on various topics involving retirement accounts, taxation, investments with an alternative take. So um, I think you'll enjoy them. So appreciate uh, all the support. This AdBits is a weekly podcast as well, uh, which dives into a topic and provides a bit of detailed information on that specific topic. And today we'll get started talking about how to use an IRA to invest in an investment fund. So before we get into the process, let's talk about what is an investment fund. So an investment fund essentially is a type of investment into generally a pass-through fund like an LLC or partnership that generally has an investment strategy. So there's different types of investment funds. There's private equity, there's hedge fund type investments, there's venture capital, there's real estate funds, there's biotech funds. There's all different types of funds that have specific investment strategies. The most popular are private equity, which essentially you are providing and giving money to a general partner who's going to then allocate your money and, and monies of a number of different investors into hopefully very successful businesses. Generally in private equity, it's more mature businesses, businesses that have at least 10 million of revenue, 2 million of EBITDA, but in a lot of cases it could be billion dollar businesses. Rarely do they go under the 10 million threshold. So you're basically providing your money to a general partner who's hopefully going to invest in a really good select um, few of businesses um, and category. Generally, they're uh, industry specific, but sometimes not. And the idea is that um, with the right manager managing these businesses, you're going to see a lot of appreciation. You'll sell the businesses for a lot more than you bought it and all the gains, or at least a good chunk of the gains will go back to your either retirement account or if you use personal funds to your personal account. And then the general partner will generally take 
a small management fee, maybe one or 2% of what cash um, they raised, and then potentially 20% of the profits, which is known as a carried interest. Whereas venture capital, with a venture capital fund, a venture capital fund generally invests in younger, less mature businesses. So generally startups. So venture capital will see an exciting new technology, maybe the next Facebook, the next Twitter, the next Instagram, uh, next Airbnb. A lot of these companies, sometimes it's just an idea on paper or maybe a uh, you know, sample um, or some type of template. Um, and they're just essentially investing in a concept, an idea, and the managers of that concept. So especially if those... Uh, managers have a track record with another successful venture, um, they'll generally try to raise money through venture capital. Most cases, venture capital are focused on technology, um, but it could be health-related, healthcare, it could be biotech, it could be artificial intelligence, uh, and it could also just be you know, internet-based, software, e-commerce. So it generally has some type of technology flavor to it. A real estate investment fund, as you can guess, is generally based on real estate. So just different um, variables, different investment strategies involving real estate, whether it's fix and flips or commercial or residential or international or a rental strategy um, or just development. Um, generally, the fund will provide you all this information um, in what's known as a PPM or a private placement memorandum. Generally, all the funds you'll investment will have a PPM. And of course, the PPMs generally are written by attorneys, depending on how much they're raising. If you're raising more than $5 million generally, and you go above friends and family, um, the investment may need to even be registered with the SEC. So if you can't satisfy any exemptions under the SEC rules. So generally, the PPM will be there and give you all the risks involved to, to basically protect themselves if the strategy doesn't work out. Um, and also tells you about the strategy and tells you about the people involved and what their goals are and, and the industry they're investing in, things like that. So it's generally a pretty large document. Um, as you can imagine, it's written by lawyers. So it's, you know, there's definitely a lot of legalese to it as well. So what's the process for making an investment into uh, an investment fund with a retirement account? So um, there's only three things an IRA can't do with um the funds. They can't buy life insurance, collectibles like art, and self-dealing transactions where you can't invest in your own fund if you're you know, controlling it. But in most cases, when you're using an IRA to invest in an investment fund, it's generally going to be a larger type of fund. And in most cases, the IRA owner is not the one managing it. Okay, so it could be a fund raising a million dollars, five million dollars, 50 million, or a billion. It doesn't matter, but you just need to be careful and make sure that you or a family member are not the primary um, drivers of this fund, because if you are, there are some instances where it could potentially trigger a prohibited transaction. So at that point, you're going to need to work with uh, a tax professional to figure out the best way to structure your transaction. I'm not saying it can't be done. It just takes a little bit of creativity to make sure you can make the investment without triggering the prohibited transaction rules. But for everyone else who just wants to make a passive investment into a fund they have no involvement in, it's a very, very popular option for retirement accounts. So let's just talk about the few ways you do it. It's pretty simple. Obviously, you'll read the PPM. 
you hopefully have done your research. You know who these uh, managers are. Uh, hopefully, they have a good track record. They're, if it's uh, a hedge fund, they're hopefully licensed if they're trading stocks with uh, FINRA. Um, hedge funds, unlike venture capital, private equity, they generally invest in investment strategies. They don't invest in businesses um, or real estate. It's generally more either privately or publicly traded securities, stocks, bonds, options, um, all kinds of creative strategies that they hope to be able to drive alpha. And alpha is the type of return that goes above and beyond what you would if you just went to a, you know, a regular broker and just bought an S&P 500. So their promotion and their strategy is, hey, you're going to pay us a little bit extra, generally 2% or 20% of the profits, but we're going to give you a lot of alpha. We're going to get you so much more return than you would have otherwise been able to get if you just invested through Schwab or Fidelity or you know went on Robinhood and picked your own stock. So that's kind of the give and take. Their fees are higher than if you just went to Schwab or Fidelity, but the idea is you get more of that alpha, that, that growth. So the PPM is key. You need to look at the strategy, do your diligence, make sure you know uh, what you're investing in. Uh, the second thing, when you decide you're going to do it and you decide, okay, I'm going to use an IRA or a Roth IRA or a 401k, they're generally going to provide you a subscription document. Okay, a subscription document will provide you and give you the ability to subscribe for an interest in the partnership agreement or the LLC agreement. As part of the subscription agreement, you'll also get a copy of the LLC agreement or partnership agreement so you can review or have your attorney review. Generally, the subscription document, you'll have to provide some information about who you are. Obviously, your name, your address, in the case of a retirement account, uh, the custodian name, if you're using a checkbook control structure, the name of the LLC, since the LLC is making the investment. They also may want to know information on the beneficial owner of the LLC, which in the case of a checkbook control structure would be the IRA owner, the custodian. Um, they may ask uh, questions about the IRA custodian, address, things like that. They may also require you to confirm certain things that you're a U.S. person. Uh, the IRA will probably have to also complete a W-9, indicating that there would be no backup withholding on any distributions provided to the IRA. So clearly IRAs are, are U.S. persons, so it's generally not a problem to complete a W-9, but that's generally part of the package of documents you'll get, whether you're using an IRA to invest in, in any investment fund. So the subscription document is somewhat tedious. A lot of the questions don't apply to IRAs because they're not natural persons. The one area that gets somewhat confusing, and I wish there was more guidance from the IRS on this, is accredited investor rules. So some of these funds will only allow accredited investors to invest. Why? Because if you only allow accredited investors to invest, you may be able to maneuver around having SEC filing obligations, or you may be able to reduce your SEC filing requirements by only taking investors who are accredited. Now, accredited investors essentially means the investor has a, set, a certain net worth, generally over a million dollars, um, and generally enough income on an annual basis, $200,000 or $300,000 if you file jointly over consecutive years. So why I'm saying this is somewhat confusing is, in this case, the IRA is investing. So most people do not have a million dollars in an IRA, and obviously IRAs don't own income. They don't work. So the idea is, and again, this is basically the norm, although I haven't seen a lot of guidance from the IRS on this, is that when the fund is asking for accredited information, it's actually asking it for the IRA owner. 
So the IRA's assets are involved and are included in the IRA owner's net worth, right? Which has to be over a million dollars. But clearly you can't ask the IRA to, to be its own accredited investor because it doesn't have $200,000 or $300,000 of earnings. It's not married. Uh, it can't marry. It's, it's not a person and generally doesn't have a million dollars of worth. So the industry um, common norm is that they treat the IRA is part of the IRA owner's accredited investment profile. So as long as the IRA owner is an accredited investor, they will allow the IRA to invest. And this is generally a consensus amount uh, amongst investment funds. So there are, in most subscription documents, accredited investor information uh, um, sections where you're going to need to complete it uh, on behalf of your IRA, even though the accredited investor information is based off the IRA owner's financial profile. You're going to have to fill it out uh, as per the IRA as the owner. So that's the only wrinkle. Remember, it's very important to remember that you are not the investor individually. Your IRA is. So if you're using a custodian control, there would be IRA Financial Trust Company custodian for the benefit of the Adam Bergman IRA. Uh, if I'm using a checkbook control, an LLC, because I want limited liability protection, I want more privacy, I want more control, and I called my LLC ABC LLC, then in the terms of the subscription document, I would complete it as ABC LLC. I wouldn't complete it as Adam Bergman. Now, if you use the LLC, the subscription docs will probably also want to provide beneficial ownership of the LLC, at least 25% or more of the ownership, which in most cases is the IRA. So you'll have to provide some information on the custodian, um, the name, address, tax ID number, things like that, which are you know, pretty available. And the custodian you're working with will be able to provide that to you without an issue. Generally, the custodians will ask the IRA owner to fill up most of the info because they're just not going to be able to attest that you are a credit investor. Um, they're just a passive IRA custodian. They're not your you know, personal wealth manager. So you'll have to provide uh, or at least complete most of the subscription doc. The custodian's compliance department will review it make sure it's, it looks good, there's no inaccuracies, um, and generally the fund will also review it. So if you return it and there's some missing info or they need more clarification, they're gonna ask you because they also have their own compliance departments to make sure that they have uh, the right investors investing in their fund with the, rest, the, the right risk profile. So those are the main documents, the PPM, the subscription document, the LLC or partnership agreement, um, the subscription doc is really the only thing you're going to need to have to complete info. Generally, the LLC agreement, you just may need to sign a signature page and date it, but there's not much for you to complete. It's, a, it's already a static completed document. You're probably not going to have the opportunity to offer much comment either because the funds generally have many investors and they're not going to probably accommodate every investor's comment. So you could have an attorney review the operating agreement or even the subscription or PPM, but uh, in terms of comments, it's very rare, unless you're a huge, huge, huge investor, that you're going to have the ability to make any comments. And I know this because when I was an attorney, I actually worked on the, at least on the private equity side, in terms of drafting all these documents, the PPM, the subscription, the operating agreements. And sometimes we would get comments. Um, we would generally ignore them unless it was like a major investor uh, where we would listen. And, and often, I'd say often, we would we would... Um, make the comments if they were reasonable. So um, in the case of your IRA, you're probably not going to be uh, you know, a major investor. There's pension funds out there and there's large investors 
that are going to be putting in, you know, lots of money. So uh, you're probably not going to be able to have much of a say in terms of the comments on the operating agreement, but you should still review them. Um, the, the key is really the subscription doc. Make sure that you're completing the info. The custodian will review it and same with the investment fund. So don't you know, get alarmed that there's um, information that may be inaccurate or that you may have missed things because either the trust company or the fund will try to find it for you. So that's really it. The, the biggest thing to remember with investment funds is understand the strategy, understand the fee arrangement. Generally, these investment funds have high fees because of that alpha dynamic, their um, attempt to generate a lot of alpha, and they're going to take fees for, for giving you that ability to generate those extra returns. So understand how it works. Some of these funds also have lockups. What's a lockup? A lockup means that once you invest, you may not be able to touch that money for three or five years. So even if you want out, you may not be able to get out. Okay, and that's very important. So you got to look at lockups. Make sure you understand the rules. Now, depending on the fund and the type of fund, there are different ways they may request money. So some funds will ask for the cash upfront in terms of a capital investment, meaning you have to, you're investing $250,000, send us the wire now, and you could then subscribe for an interest. And some have what's called capital commitments, meaning you are committing $250,000, but we're going to only draw that down over a number of years, whether it's one year, two years, three years, whatever it is. And it's generally set forth in the documents, uh, depending on how uh, flexible or rigid it is, they'll have a parameter of time where they can draw that down. So you just got to be aware of, of what you're signing up for. Do they want the money up front? Is it over a period of years? You got to make sure you have the money because you're committing to it. If you don't do it, there's generally dilution penalties and pretty steep. So you got to make sure. Also remember lockup periods. You can't just tell the, call the manager up and say, thanks, I want my money back today because it may not be possible based off the document. So that's something that you need to be aware of. And obviously, one other thing that is more unique to retirement accounts that are not um, really relevant to personal investors is this idea of unrelated business taxable income, or UBTI. UBTI is kind of a tax penalty, I call it, up to 37% when a fund does one of these three things. It uses margin to buy investments. It uses a loan to buy real estate. Um, or it uses a fund to buy businesses and the businesses are pass-through entities like a partnership or LLC and not a corporation. So let me review those three things. So if you invest in a hedge fund and they're borrowing a lot of money to buy extra positions of stocks or options or short positions, whatever it is, that could potentially trigger a UBTI to an IRA or 401k. Now their subscription docs or PPM should disclose that, but it doesn't always do that. In fact, some investment funds won't take retirement account investors uh, because they don't want to deal with UBTI. Some won't take retirement account investors above a 25% ownership threshold because they don't want to trigger what's called plan asset rules, which um, is not super relevant. It's more relevant for the investment fund managers in terms of uh, requiring uh, or potentially imposing private transaction rules uh, on, on their activities. So again, if you're using, if there's leverage in these deals, whether it's a hedge fund, private equity, 
um, venture capital, you're going to need to ask about it or know about it or look for it because that could trigger UBIT if you have an IRA. If you're investing in a private equity fund and they're investing in pass-through entities that are operating businesses, so if they're investing in, say, gas stations and all the gas stations are owned by LLCs and the gas stations generate more than $1,000 of profit, which you better hope they do, um, you're going to get hit potentially with a 37% tax. Um, the only way to limit that is to set up a C-Corp locker where your IRA invests in a C-Corp and the C-Corp subscribes to shares. The C-Corp still has to pay 21% tax federally plus potentially a state tax. Uh, if Biden wins the election and the Democrats take the Senate, that corporate tax can go up to 28%. So again, this is these are tax implications that could really turn an efficient investment into a very tax inefficient investment, which is very uh, unique to IRAs. Now, 401ks have an exemption. If you invest in a real estate fund or a investment fund that uses leverage to buy real estate, there's an exemption on this UBTI tax just for 401ks. Unfortunately, it does not apply to IRAs. So if you have an IRA that's either going to invest in a fund where there's going to be a loan to buy securities or other investment products, a loan to buy real estate, or you're investing in a private equity fund or venture capital fund that's investing in pass-through businesses. And I, I want to make it clear, two requirements, pass-through, meaning LLC or partnership, and a business, okay, gas station, retail, manufacturer, software company, not buying and selling stocks or options, okay? That's not a business. That won't trigger that facet of the UBTI rules, but generally a lot of hedge funds use debt, right? They use leverage to supercharge their return. So for a lot of investment funds, the UBTI is a four-letter word for retirement account investors, specifically IRA investors. And in some cases, the UBTI really turns off an IRA investor from investing either through an IRA or 401k. And what typically happens, either they won't make the investment or they'll use personal funds to make the investment so not to trigger the UBTI tax. Because if they use personal funds, they can either generate long-term capital gains at 15% in general, or they can, uh, or ordinary income tax rates if it's a short-term capital gain. But most of these investment funds, uh, well, at least the private equity, venture capital um, are, are looking for long-term gains. Hedge funds, depending on the character of the gains, could be short-term or long-term. Uh, it just depends on the nature of the fund. But uh, just to summarize, for an IRA or 401k investor, if you can't find this information about UBTI in the PPM or subscription doc, ask the promoter, ask the general partner, hey, are you guys using debt? If you're a private equity or venture capital firm, the portfolio companies you're buying, are they C-Corps or LLC? Is there a mixture? Um, because you need this information. If you're told they're only going to be C-Corps in the private equity setting, you're good. No UBTI. If you're told most of them are going to be portfolio companies will be LLCs, that's a problem. That could trigger UBIT and then really ruin your investment. Generally, the only way you know this is if you get a K-1, because most, if not all, investment funds are partnerships for tax purposes. So your investor, whether it's an IRA or you individually, will get a K-1. The K-1 generally will tell you if there's UBTI, although if it's a small fund, they're not going to be sophisticated enough to provide you that guidance or information. So generally, it's just not going to be possible for you to report it, which sometimes can cause an issue because technically you're supposed to report it 
the UBTI in a 990T form, but how can you report it if you're not told or disclosed the number of UBTI or even if it exists and what that amount is? There's no way you can search the books and records and figure that out on yourself. So that's the reason a lot of UBTI just never gets reported, but technically it's still the obligation of the IRA owner to file it on the 990T. The issue is in most cases, they're never aware of it or they're never able to calculate it. So it's best to ask these questions before you make the investment. Um, UBTI could turn out to be a real ugly four letter word um, because of its tax implications. So whether you're doing hedge fund investing, um, private equity, venture capital, real estate funds, um, ask about UBTI. Uh, if you don't see in the PPM or subscription, ask the, the managers. If they're not sure if they'll be able to disclose the amount, you know, think about the risk of not disclosing. There's potential penalties. Um, and if they are able to disclose, think about the, the, the nightmare of paying the tax, which is not a, you know, a really fun situation when you're having to pay up to 37% tax on, on an IRA investment. So things to consider. But most importantly, you can do the investment. It's just you got to be worried about UBTI. Also, do your diligence. Read the PPM, the subscription doc, as I mentioned, the operating agreement. You may want to have an attorney look at it if it's a major investment. And then understands the terms of the investment. Capital commitment versus contribution, lockup periods, the investment strategy, UBTI. I think if you can go down that list and check off those boxes and make sure you've understood um, each potential risk and, and you feel good about them, then uh, there should be nothing that stops you in making the investment. Hopefully, you'll be able to generate some significant alpha from your investment. And when you net out the fees, um, your IRA or 401k will be well ahead of the game. So that's the plan. And that's why using an IRA to make investment fund investments uh, are so popular and really uh, so uh, prevalent amongst retirement account uh, sophisticated investors. So hope you uh, enjoy this podcast. Uh, please subscribe if you haven't already. Please give us a five uh, star rating on Apple. Um, really helps pump up the boost the uh, podcast and allow more uh, hopefully interested listeners to listen to it. So really appreciate all the support. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy, and uh, I will talk to all of you guys again next week. Take care.